So if you guys have been at uh, Covenant for a, little, a, a while, you'll know that um, our church has, uh, has, has enjoyed in having some new folks who have been joining us over the last couple of years, and most of those people were folks who have not been involved in church uh, before coming here. And I had a really fascinating conversation with somebody um, who was asking me about Christmas during uh, our preparations for Christmas. And he asked a question that I felt like all of us should probably ask whether we're in church and we know we're not supposed to ask it or not. And the question that this person asked was, on a spiritual level, not level, not talking about commercial or anything else, but on a spiritual level, do we kind of make too big of a deal about Christmas? He's like, because, you know, when you, when you talk about it, it's, it, the two great Christian celebrations each year are Christmas and Easter. And he was like, I get Easter. Even if I don't believe in it, I, I, I get what Easter is supposed to be a big deal about. It's about the cross. It's about resurrection. It's about life over death. It's about love over hate. It's about justice flowing down in this world. It's about all the stuff that we're supposed to be about. I get why that one is such a big deal. But he was like, I mean, Christmas is big, but does it need to be like at that level? Does it need to be considered at that level of celebration that we talk about Christmas and Easter, Christmas and Easter, Christmas and Easter. He said, he said, you know, I suppose that to get to Easter, you got to have Christmas, right? Like to get to the cross, Jesus actually has to come into the world. But that feels like maybe the most significant part of it. And I think it's a great question. I think anytime someone asks a question about just our normal ways of doing it, this is just what we do, it's really good to have to sit there and go, well, why do we do this? Why do we make such a big deal about this? Why is it that we stop and say, this is one of those times of the year that we should just stop and pay attention and praise and worship God for who he is and what he's done? And yes, it's that Jesus comes into the world. But what I'd like to suggest tonight is that one of the things that all of us can sit in is that the miracle of Christmas, when we grasp it and hold on to it, is that we have a faith that is built upon and based on more than just knowledge, more than just facts, more than just learning, more than just doctrine or dogma or theology, that ours is one that through Christmas and the uniqueness of Christmas and the message is that it is built upon an experience of Emmanuel. Our faith is not one that is primarily about information between the ears, Not that that's unimportant, but that's not the basis of it all. The basis of everything we're about is about experience and the experience of God with us, Emmanuel, God in this world. So what I want to do for a second is because this is so critical and so important, I want to try something, and this might work or it might be a gigantic swing and miss, and I'm just going to say that from the beginning, is to try to illustrate and capture the critical importance of the difference of knowledge and experience. What is the difference of knowledge versus experience? And the way that I want to illustrate that is through chocolate. Chocolate. Now, what I need in this is, this is going to be a little participatory for a moment by the raising of hands. I know that if you're between the ages of like 14 and 25, you're too cool to participate by raising hands. I get that. I know that some of you who aren't between 14 and 25 think you're too cool to participate in this. But I'm asking you just for a few questions just to do this for me, okay? And, and I promise you, if you raise your hand at any point, I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. There's nothing that you're going to get asked to do that could be humiliating, okay? I think. It's not planned, at least. It's not planned, at least. What I'd like to know is how many of you like, I'm not talking about like 
love, crave it, have to have it, but just like. How many people here, raise your hand if you like chocolate. All right, good. Most everybody. Now, raise your hand if you love chocolate, like chocoholic. Okay. Those of you who have your hands up, I want you to look at the people whose hands are down. These are the folks for you to be praying for tonight, okay? (laughs) These are the people who have not reached the spiritual point of enlightenment that we have. Because I am a believer that the, maybe one of the greatest proofs that God exists and that God loves us is the provision of chocolate that he has given to his creation, all right? Beth and I this week celebrated our 18th wedding anniversary, and we went out to dinner, and we told the folks there that it was our, our, we were celebrating our anniversary, so that meant it was a nicer restaurant than where we normally went to, and at the end of the meal, they said, oh, well, you're going to give you a complimentary dessert because it's your anniversary, and there was this moment in our marriage that we've had many times over 18 years where she said, oh, you don't have to do that, and I'm cheap, and I'm like, that would be great because we're going to have dessert anyway, and if it's free, we will totally take it. And, they, and it was one of those nice places where they had the like, waiter that explained everything. You know, it's not just like, here's the menu. It's like, there's this, and here's how we make it, and we glaze it, and blah, 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 blah. And they're like, it's an apple crumble, and here's a creme brulee. And they got to this dessert where they're like, here's a piece of Godiva chocolate cake. It's put in the oven. It's warmed in the oven, and it has a center of hot molten chocolate that will flow out. And I was like, you can stop right there. That is the dessert that Jesus intends for us to have here to celebrate our anniversary. That this is, chocolate is an example of God's love and provision for the world. That is, that is kind of how I see it, okay? So, we can agree that chocolate, most of us, that chocolate is a good thing and a great thing. Now, if you love chocolate, you'll know that this is a good time of year because there's all kinds of chocolate available. You go in like doctor's office even, they've got chocolate bowls out, right? And they've got like in offices or in homes, and you can eat all kinds of chocolate. One of the biggest chocolate companies in the world that is producing chocolate and waits for times like Christmas, because they love it, that's how many of us eat it, is the company Hershey's, based out of Hershey, Pennsylvania, okay? Now, the company Hershey's is fascinating. If you want to know facts, information, knowledge about chocolate, Hershey's has a really fascinating background, and I love history. The, the history of Hershey's is that Milford Hershey, Milford Snavely Hershey. They didn't name it Snavely's, right? It's uh, his Milford Hershey was born in 1857. He was born to a farming family in Pennsylvania, and he had to work rather than go to school for most of his childhood. So by the time he dropped out of school, he didn't even have a fourth grade education. But his family needed him to provide and earn money for the family. And so what they did is they had him working in farming. But when he turned 14, his aunt who was also working on the family farm, heard about a new way that people could earn a living. And it was going and learning how to be a candy maker. And so Milford Hershey was chosen by his family to go and see if they could make money this way, to learn they did pretty well. That that plan worked out pretty well for the Hershey family. So he went and he learned how to make candy. But the interesting thing about him is that his first two candy stores that he opened were failures. They didn't work. One in Philadelphia and one in New York City in the 1890s. And after the second one in New York City failed, he decided to take what was left of his resources and gamble on one last chance at making it in the candy making business. He took what he had left and he bought 30 acres of farmland in the dairy farm region of Pennsylvania. And the reason was, as a farmer as well as somebody who knew about the candy making business, there was a new way that people were experimenting of making chocolate with fresh dairy milk. It's what we call milk chocolate. 
And so he decided he was going to put all of his eggs in that basket. He bought 30 acres of farmland in dairy country, Pennsylvania. And it was while he was there that he started having access to dairy milk, and he started experimenting with different formulas to make milk chocolate. And he came up with something so that in the year 1900, he produced the first Hershey bar. First Hershey bar was produced in 1900. And as you know, and chocoholics like me know, it changed the face of creation forever. Hershey bars went viral, it went global, it went around the world in no time. It did really, really well. In the year 1907, he had gotten feedback and his company was big enough that people didn't just want the big bars of chocolate, but what they wanted was something that was a little more bite-sized, a little smaller, so you didn't have to carry the whole bar around with you and wrap it back up and stuff. It's just like this little bite that you could have. Anybody know what those are called? Kisses. Hershey Kisses, which I have... One right here. What was that? Who wants it? Hold on. Hold on. Because they know, they can feel the holiness right here. That this is a lot of goodness that is just in an aluminum red package, right? Um, they got the name Kisses because this teardrop shape with the flat bottom, the machine that first made them in 1907 made a sound that sounded like a kiss when it would be made. That's where they got the name Hershey Kiss. And then they would wrap it in this aluminum, and it is gone, just is blown up, huge proportions, the Hershey Kiss. The Hershey Kiss is bigger than most any other chocolate company. Just what they make in the kisses is bigger than most what any other chocolate company almost in the world makes. They produce 60 million today 60 million Hershey kisses a day, globally. It tells you something about humanity, right? And we, and we still can't get enough of it. 60 million of these things are made a day. They come in dozens of flavors now. Peppermint, plain milk chocolate, uh, almond, caramel. They, all, it's awesome stuff to think about. And then they have dozens of wrappers, green ones, red ones, for um, the holidays, they have orange ones. They may have a burnt orange one. I don't even know. They have blue, silver, gold. They have all different kinds. And, it's, and it's, it's just a great thing. The Hershey Kiss. Now, if I told you, for those of you who like Hershey Kisses, if I told you that when you leave here today, that there are going to be bowls and bowls in the lobby of Hershey Kisses for you to take, raise your hand if you would be excited. God has smiled upon you <laughs> because there are going to be bowls and bowls of Hershey Kisses when you leave here today, and you're allowed to take them. And parents and grandparents, this is called asking forgiveness rather than permission. So now, for those of you who are excited about this, how many of you are excited because you're going to take this home and keep it exactly the way it is, just like this, and tell your friends all the facts you've learned about the Hershey Company tonight? How many of you are excited about that? You're going to take it home and just keep it like that? You actually might. But, but just like put it on the shelf and have more facts. For the rest of us, why are you excited for this tonight? Because it's yummy. Because what do you want to do? You want to eat it. These little beauties 
were not made to be studied or analyzed or for facts to be learned about them or debated. They were meant to be eaten, which you can do. They are meant to be experienced. That's why we get excited. There is a difference in knowledge and experience. And our faith, because of Christmas, is not built on the knowledge and laws and teachings and facts and religious rules about God. It is based on the experience of Emmanuel, of God with us. And it is that experience that makes everything about what we do here completely unique in all of the world. There's no other message like the incarnation of Jesus being born into a manger and coming into the world based on the experience of walking with God now, not the facts of learning about how to live a righteous life. You see the difference in that? Christmas changes everything. Changes everything when it's about experience. Changes everything when our faith is built on experience. Let me give you an example of why. Because what it creates is the opportunity when it's about experience of God with us, of Emmanuel, that our faith is built on the idea that we are in a relationship with God primarily. That that is primarily what we are about. And that God is in a relationship with you because he has experienced everything that you experience in this world. God has experienced everything you walk in here tonight because if we're honest, if we're honest tonight, every one of us walks into here with all different kinds of feelings and all different kinds of emotions and all different kinds of thoughts. There are some of you here tonight that Christmas is like the best time. You are like Will Ferrell and Elf. You just cannot wait for Christmas to come. This marks like the greatest day of the year. You get traditions and family together and everyone gets together and you have the right foods and you have the right traditions and it's fun and it's joyful and you'll sing and you'll tell stories and you'll laugh. The amazing part about our faith because of Christmas is that God knows out of experience what that's like. It's not that God looks at it going, huh, that looks like fun. That must be what fun is called. That Jesus has come into the world and there are stories in the scripture of him having so much fun with his friends that he kept parties going on for days because none of them wanted it to end. He knows what it's like to celebrate. He knows what it's like to have joy in your heart. He knows what it's like to gather with family and friends. He knows what it's like to tell stories and you laugh so hard that your sides hurt. He knows what that is like because God has actually come into the world and experienced that. But we also know tonight that this day is not just a time of joy and memories and laughter and fun. It is about that. But for many of us, this is a night when we feel loss, when we feel grief, when we recognize the tables that, and the chairs at our table that are empty this year, when we remember the relationships that are broken and are not mended yet, when we see the movies of the stories of people getting together for a good old family Christmas, and that's not what our experience or our family looks like. And the amazing part about our faith is that God has experienced that as well. That God's not looking at you tonight going, that must be painful, that must be hard. But that God knows what heartache is like. God knows what it's like to weep over the loss of his friends and those whom he loves. God knows what it's like to be scared. God knows what it's like to have an unknown future and to not know how things are going to work out and to feel the anxiety and the worry and the trepidation of that. That ours through Christmas is unique because everything you walk in here tonight, God is looking at you going, I know, I know, I know. It changes everything. I've shared this with many of you before. 
But I can't tell you the profound impact that this had on my life. As some of you know that I am someone whose parents were divorced when I was younger. I have two younger brothers. It was one of the most profound times and things that shaped my childhood and my experience. And I still remember when I was investigating Christianity after college when someone looked at me, because I didn't grow up in this stuff, when someone looked at me and said, do you know that God knows what it's like to not have both your parents there when you most need it? I said, what? That God knows what it's like. Because the way that my parents' divorce happened, and it was not fun for a long time, and it was not easy, and they weren't speaking or being able to be in the same room with each other for a while, that holidays were like trading players in a baseball trade. You know what I mean? Where it's like, okay, I'll give you Thanksgiving this year, but next year I get Christmas, New Year's, and a holiday to be named later, right? Like, this is just how it's going to work. It was, it was not fun, and they couldn't, we couldn't have any times together. So what do you mean God knows what that's like? He said, well, if you notice it, when Jesus is born, Mary and Joseph are both there. When he's a teenager and goes and teaches in the temple, Mary and Joseph are both there. But when it comes to his adult ministry, and even the moment when he's hanging on the cross and most alone, Mary is there. She's one of the only people that never leads his side. But Joseph is nowhere to be seen. Why? Well, we don't know. We have no idea why that is. Maybe he died, and God knows the, the pain of losing a parent. But maybe maybe, we don't know, it could be because Joseph got sick of being the miracle child's baby. Because not many people, I guarantee you, believe that story that Mary and Joseph concocted, they thought, of how Jesus came into the world. Maybe he just got tired of it and saw a greener pasture somewhere else. We don't know. But what we do know is in that moment, one parent was there and the other one was not. I, it, didn't, it didn't make everything better for me, but it changed everything to say, do you know God has experienced the depths of what you experience as you go through this life with some of the things that are most painful to you? It creates an intimacy and an empathy that is different from here are the laws about divorce and here's the rules of what you do and here are the steps of how you respond is that God starts by going, I know. I know. That's Christmas. That's the difference in knowledge versus experience. It changes everything. And what it also changes, friends, finally, is that not only does God come and experience the world as we do, but he also says that he is meant to be experienced by us. That our worship, when we pray, when we sing, when we close our eyes, when we uh, look to God, that that's not something where we're just hoping that God's up in heaven hearing, but that God is right with us today, listening, encouraging, supporting, praying for us. And the promise is that while God has faced heartache, and while God has faced despair, and while God has faced confusion, and while God has faced loneliness, what we see in the promise of Jesus and what we celebrate this Christmas time and always is that that loneliness and that despair and those questions and that heartache and that anxiety was not the end of his story. And it will not be the end of yours. It's a message of hope that as he experienced salvation and life abundant and life eternal, that we will experience that in him as well. And so that is my prayer for you tonight. You can know all the facts you want to about Christmas. Shepherds and the manger and the angels and the inn that's too full and the cattle that are lowing, and I don't really know what that means, but we know they were lowing because we sing about it. We know all different kinds of facts. You can know all the facts about this, where it started and how the tradition's gone, and miss the entire thing. This isn't about knowledge. 
It's about a religion of experience of the person and presence of God, that knowledge has its place. But it's about experience of Emmanuel. And my prayer for you tonight is that you would experience God with you, wherever you are tonight, and experience it in the days ahead. Does Christmas have that kind of importance? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hallelujah. And amen. So one of the things that we see, besides the importance of chocolate tonight, is that we see that there is a promise. A promise of this life with God that makes all the difference. This experience of Emmanuel. And there's images in the scripture. There are images for what that looks like, what it means to dwell in hope, what it means to dwell in the promise of Emmanuel, to experience him in our life. And one of the images that is given to us is the image of light and darkness. It's one of the consistent images. We see it, for example, in John chapter 1, where the scriptures acknowledge from the beginning that pain is real and difficulty is real, that darkness is real. And it says that Jesus comes into the world where there is darkness, but that he is the light and that the darkness has had taken its best chance to overcome the light and that it could not do it. And so as we worship and as we pray to experience Emmanuel this night, we're going to have a chance to sing a couple of songs and to have the ushers come forward and the band come forward. And we're going to light from this Christ candle, the light of the world that's come in tonight, and we're going to have a chance to have light spread throughout this sanctuary and to sing and worship. And may the experience of Emmanuel fill your heart and your mind and your vision this night and always. So will the band come forward? Will the ushers come forward? And let's just take some time to give thanks and praise for the experience of the God who is with us.